0: Hello and welcome to Yesterday in Travel. My name is Brian and I'm joined as always by Kalina. Hi Kalina. Hello. Today we'll only be jumping back about 17 years into history, to 2004, when the Colombian city of Medellin unveiled a new mass transit system called the MetroCable. The network of gondolas improved accessibility to once remote hillside neighborhoods, transforming the way the city's residents mix and helping to garner international attention for the city's innovative strategies for urban social improvement. The gondolas have also become a tourist draw in their own right. We'll be getting into it all in just a moment, but first, let's discuss what's going on in travel news right now. Kalina, what have you got?
1: I have two sort of depressing things and one not depressing thing, depending on how you look on it. Sounds great. (laughs) First of all, my first two things are about coronavirus, because what else do people talk about these days? Mm-hmm. The first is that Germany is thinking about stopping all air travel to try to stop the the new fun mutant version of the coronavirus from spreading too much,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is a pretty drastic step. I think Israel might have done it, but I'm not sure that many others have gone that far to try to stop it from spreading. And my second piece of news is that the Biden administration is thinking of Um, requiring Americans to take a COVID test before traveling domestically, which is sort of surprising to Mm -hmm. me that we haven't had to do that, that we don't have to do that to travel right now. That seems like a pretty easy thing to do. I know like LAX has Mm on-site testing, but I don't think that's a widespread thing at all.
0: Yeah, it seems like, I don't know, I I think it sounds like the airline industry is not in favor of this. And the airline industry at least seems to feel like this is going to be very bad for their business. But on the other hand, yeah, it seems like at this point where we're at, there's lots of anxiety among the Fauci's and those people of the world that the new variants are the issue right now. If we don't get the vaccine out to everyone before these new variants take on, then we're like going to be fighting against those strains which spread faster. So it's like mm-hmm. it's in our interest to 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 almost to lock down even more right now.
1: Yeah, I know. I don't know. I guess we'll keep an eye on what happens with those policies. You know, all this stuff might, might be moot by the summer. Who knows if we can get the vaccine stuff ramped up. I think they're vaccinating like a million people a day right now, which is not bad at all. I mean, Mm it could be better, but it's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's a good start. Yeah. 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 My, my final story is from New Zealand. Their tourism board has launched a new campaign telling tourists to stop copying other people's travel photos The campaign is called is encouraging people to stop traveling under the social influence. And it's part of their new do something new campaign, which basically, I guess, is trying to discourage people from contributing to over tourism and all visiting the same sites so they can post it on Instagram and instead pushing people to find unique perspectives of the country, which I think is really interesting because I guess working for Via Hero and writing articles about certain places, there were locations like the Philippines where they had to close down a beach or something because someone posted it on Instagram and it became this huge draw for social media people who wanted to take the same picture and post it on their Instagram. But this is the first time I've heard of a country suggesting that people <laughs> change their change their behavior like that. It's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a strange phenomenon. It's like it's it's completely understandable that people see a photo of a beautiful place and then want to go there, but mm-hmm. the act of then going there and taking a picture and sharing it Every every share, like, you know, it's like a snowball. It multiplies the number of people that then want to see that place in person.
1: Yeah. You might have seen this, too, when you lived in Brooklyn. By the Brooklyn Bridge in Dumbo, there's that one view of the Manhattan Bridge in between two buildings. Mm-hmm. And if you walk down in that neighborhood, there's always people standing there taking their picture. Yeah. Less so in the last couple of months, but definitely in 2019, every single time I was in Dumbo, people would be posing in that exact same spot. So, yeah. Yep. I
0: used to work at a coffee shop down in Tribeca right off of Canal Street. Mm-hmm. And this was like two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. So it was a few years back. But my first exposure to some of like the issues with like mass travel and over tourism was just Canal Street having this constant traffic of people trying to buy fake Louis Vuitton bags from bootlegger sellers around there. Mm-hmm. And it was actually an interesting we kind of had an interesting vantage point because mm-hmm. we served coffee to the tourists coming down there. There was always like out of towners who were in the city. They were like going to a show and then buying some fake bags and going back to wherever they're from. And they were always coming in and asking <laughs> us like for directions or mm-hmm. trying to order like inappropriately large beverages because they're used to Starbucks or whatever. And then we would also serve the guys that were selling bags who were mostly immigrants, like West African immigrants at, at that phase of the the deal the selling anyway Mm. we would we would serve both sides and kind of get both perspectives and it was like this interesting mixing of lots of like Americans not from New York and these West African immigrants who many were Muslim and so they'd be praying five times they'd like find a spot midday Hmm. on like a side street and pray and then they'd get back to like selling fake bags Hmm.
1: That's funny. That kind of reminds me of what you said about Starbucks, too. You know, in Seattle, there's the first Starbucks in Pike Place Market. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure they don't do like frappuccinos or any sort of like the specialty Starbucks drinks. Mm. They only do like the original sort of like coffee. Mm-hmm. But when you walk down, there's a huge line. There's always a huge line of people waiting to go to the first Starbucks. But Many of them, you know, their favorite drink is, you know, a caramel frappuccino or whatever. And
0: right, they end can't being get that there. Disappointed. Disappointed. All right. My only <clears throat> travel story to add to those is a nice little story out of East Yorkshire, somewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm. The bus system there is offering free bus travel to anyone in the mornings if they're attending an early morning COVID vaccination appointment. Oh. So they've like... Put out on Twitter that like all the residents of the area can take the bus for free if they're going to get their vaccination. So that's kind that's of a nice nice.
1: Good for them. Yeah. Nice story. Yeah. Yeah. The UK's been, I mean, other they have like a million problems with the variant, but they've been doing really well with the vaccines. Mm. Huh. So that's good. Good for this bus company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to the metro cable, which I'm gonna keep pronouncing with my Spanish accent. <laughs> Just for I was going
1: to say, I'm not going to be able to do that at all. Cool. I'm saying Metro Cable.
0: Do the Metro Cable or do Metro Cable even. That's, I think, like a nice middle ground.
1: Metro Cable. That sounds French.
0: Ooh, that's French. Yeah. <laughs> so the Metro Cable, what is it? What are we talking about here? What's an urban gondola? Can you just sort of describe what they've put together. Is this like gondolas in Venice?
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. It's an urban gondola. We talked about why those have the same word and it's sort of unclear, but the metro cable is basically like a funicular aerial cable car, something like a ski lift that stretches above the city. Mm -hmm. In Medellin, there were originally three different lines. There are now five different lines. They go about 10 miles an hour. And they have tens of thousands of passengers every day. The most popular line, Line K, has like 30,000 passengers a day. So it's an immensely popular method of transportation in the city. And for our purposes, it's important because this new way of moving around Medellin completely transformed the city. In the 80s, Time magazine called it the most dangerous city in the world. And a few decades later, it won all these awards for for its innovation, in 2012, it won a City of the Year award. And in 2016, I might not pronounce this right, but the Li Kuan Yu World City Prize. And it was all based in part on this innovation of creating this new public transportation, which connected the city. So do you want to get into what led to this and why they created the Metro cable?
0: Yeah, I looked into a little bit of the just the history of Medellin. Generally, to try to understand a little bit how they got to the point where they decided to go for this new, innovative, and kind of different way of adding public transportation to their city. And what I found was that, so Medellin, just geographically, it's kind of located between Bogota, the capital of the country, which is right kind of in the center, and the Caribbean coast, the closest point, sort of on the Caribbean coast, on the north of Colombia. Colombia has a border on the Caribbean coast as well as the Pacific coast. And Medellin is nestled kind of at the very top edge of the Andean mountain range in a valley that's sort of northwest of Bogota and kind of in a random spot. I mean it isn't a valley but it's it's got mountains on all sides and it's a it's a bit of a tricky place to get in and out of. It's also at almost a mile above sea level, so it's pretty high up in the mountains. And So Medellin was established many centuries ago when the Spaniards were first colonizing and conquering South America. But Medellin was a pretty small backwater city until the late 1800s, early 1900s. At that point, they built a railroad that went through Medellin, uh, which connected it to other cities and connected it also to this large river called the Magdalena River, which is uh, Colombia's largest navigable river which gave it access to more trade routes and coinciding with this period around the turn of the 20th century was when coffee started to become an important export product for Colombia and Medellin was in an area where there was lots of coffee production and they also discovered coal mines near the city which allowed for it allowed for them to use the coal to 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 build other industries and also to export so it started to become an important industrial city in the country. And the the growth in coffee and coal mines also led to investment in textiles. And so Medellin kind of became a textile center of the country. And then there was a second growth period in the second part of, of the century from the 1950s to the 1970s. And that period actually was sparked because of political violence throughout the country. There was a president who was killed, which led to lots of violence in the countryside. So lots of farmers started fleeing and heading to the major cities. And this brought lots of new people into the valley where Medellin was. It grew the city enormously. It tripled in size over the decade of the 50s and 60s and early part of the 70s. And um, the the city was actually developing in the 50s, a kind of master plan that was thinking about how they were going to grow, how they were going to expand and how they were going to, in organized way, plot out the city's growth and the amenities of the city in a way that made sense. But Things happened too rapidly and they ended up with lots of sort of slums on the hillsides where people were building houses without, you know, permits and and roads and such were being created structures that um, were kind of informal and unplanned. So fast forward another decade. The 80s was a really bad time in Colombia and Medellin was kind of at the center of it. Pablo Escobar was this, you know, is this name that people I'm sure know of. He uh, was the head of a drug cartel that was based out of Medellin, and there was lots of violence, lots of poverty, lots of insecurity. And so coming out of that, the city was basically in a position where they had all these poor areas that were having trouble integrating into the economic activity of the city because they were built on these hills where there were windy roads and it was hard to get buses up them. It was hard for taxis to get places on them. And it was also very dangerous. So taxis didn't want to take people up into the hills. And the ride, even if you did get a taxi, the ride was so winding that even just a small distance over land ended up taking a long time and costing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So So that wasn't wasn't working. Yeah, exactly. Too
1: much distance. So one thing I want to mention too, is that, you know, this idea of urban gondolas or gondolas, I suppose, not so much urban ones, had existed in Colombia before, you know, being a pretty hilly place. I have two examples, but I'm not sure I want to try pronouncing the names of the cities, because um, I think I'll not do it well. But one was constructed in the early 20th century, and it was meant to transport coffee. And there was another one made around the mid-century, which was to bring people up to a nice hotel up up in the hills. So this idea was kind of around and then it gets picked up in the 21st century in Medellin uh, when this new guy, this new mayor, is elected in 2000, and the city enters into this agreement to to build metro cable with uh, with metro to Medellin. And one thing they want to do to their credit is is use this project to heal the divide that exists between the people living in the hills and the people living in the city. You know, part of this divide comes from the violence that had existed in the the decades before and the government sort of hands off approach to the people living in these slums up in the hills, so what they do is they send social workers out to gather data from the people who lived up there and ask them how they lived, how they moved around, and how they associated with another. And then they use that information to build a public transportation system, the Metro Cable, that would serve their needs, that would fit into like their lives, which I think is, is important. In 2004, when they started building the Metro Cable, another mayor was elected, and his whole thing was social urbanism. So he wanted to come in and help build libraries and public spaces and invest. In these poor mm-hmm. places, and help kind of you know connect them to the larger city and and raise them up in other ways. So so the goal, which is to connect these low income neighborhoods to Medellin, the city center, works pretty well.
0: Yeah, it it seemed like it worked very well, and I actually looked into a little bit of about this first mayor, Luis Perez who was the mayor from 2000, 2004, who kind of initiated all these projects. They ended up happening later on under the next mayor, but Luis Perez was actually an industrial engineer by training. So it's interesting. His mind was on this project, I think, in part because he was, he was someone who had experience with engineering. And so, um, so I thought I thought that was interesting. And yeah, it seemed like they they really were smart about the way that they implemented the Metro Cable project by having having all these social workers get involved and, and study the needs of the people. And they also combined this project with other supporting projects around education. They passed this other commitment in the local government actually around the same time that stated that every basically every district of the city was to have its own library which was this kind of new another new social program that would that would benefit all people including the poorest people they also put in a lot of banks just like simply added banks to lots of these neighborhoods where people didn't have a place to do their banking and keep their earnings and their savings and then later on this factors into the sort of snowball or the the virtuous cycle that was going on but they also were throughout the 2010s up to 2016 they were in talks with the the FARC which is this long-standing, sort of revolutionary army that was kind of in this long-standing simmering civil war with the government. And they were kind of a drug running group. And they ended up finally signing a peace agreement with them um, in 2016. But all, all told, this all resulted in lots of really great outcomes for the city. So the homicide rate dropped 80% from its peak in 1991, at the height of the drug violence to 2015. Of course, commute times dropped drastically for people living in the hills. You know, people could have easily traveled one to two hours one way commuting and those times were dropped to, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. The Metro Cable was also this very safe option for travel throughout the city. They were well staffed and, and kept secure. And so more women could go out into the workplace and feel secure and not have to worry about getting to and from a job and worry about their their security if they were having to walk or take taxis places. And the Metro Cable also linked in with the existing Metro rail system, which was only one or two lines, Uh, actually, I think it's three lines, but one main line and then two small extensions. But that was also key in just allowing access to every part of the city, no matter whether you were on the metro cable or the metro rail line. You could transfer for free, and it was all sort of the same price. It was also one flat price, no matter where you're going, kind of like New York City. Unemployment also dropped steadily since the early 2000s. And then the metro cable itself became a tourist draw, so tourism started to creep up as the city became safer and tourism in Colombia grew fourfold. And in Medellin, it also steadily grew from almost no tourism in the 90s to half a million visitors, mm-hmm. visitors in 2018.
1: Yeah, I feel like Colombia was not really on my radar until the last couple of years as a travel destination. And that's in part did my work at Via Hero. But you know, reading about it and and writing about it. It just sounds fantastic. You know, they have a great beer scene, they have beaches, they have good food, these beautiful cities. So definitely can see why it's a tourist draw now. I think Medellin specifically, you know, there's a direct link between the metro cable and its success as an urban center Um, in the 21st century. We talked about a couple of the awards that the city won in the 2000s, 2010s. The city of the year uh, gave the award. They said The winning city Medellin found new solutions to classic problems of mobility and environmental sustainability. Today, gondolas and a giant escalator, which we'll get into in a second, uh, shuttle citizens from steep mountainside homes to jobs and schools in the valley below. So that's a big deal. The Lee Kuan Yew Award says in, in justifying their their award, the world's first cable car system for daily commuting and urban escalators have greatly improved mobility in, in one of Medellin's most troubled neighborhoods. So, you know, you can see that link pretty clearly between this recognition and the metro cable itself. But why don't you touch on these urban elevators that were mentioned in both call outs?
0: Yeah, they... When they came up with the, the metro cable plan, you know, it seemed like they were really focused on efficacy. If they were going to build a new system, they wanted it to work for the people. And so in some cases, that meant building a, a metro cable as they had planned. And it turned out in one other place in this neighborhood called Comuna 13, which um, was on a very steep hill and was known to be a very dangerous neighborhood and a place that was really difficult to get in and out of. They decided instead of building a metro cable, they were just going to build a 384 (laughs) meter escalator broken up into six outdoor covered escalators that go up the side of the hill, which, you know, essentially just provided a new convenience for people living up in in the at the top to get up and down you know if you are with children or if you have groceries or you know for a million reasons climbing up a hill can be extremely difficult and or you know not possible so having this massive escalator to bring people up and down solved a lot of that problem and kind of connected that neighborhood specifically to the rest of the city and it also became Again, it became a tourist destination for people because mm-hmm. it's unique. It's the only place in the world, or at least in Latin America that has that big of an outdoor escalator so but the 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 other thing they mentioned is is how there were other places where where this has also been done. I think you looked into a few places. Do you want to talk a little bit about other cities?
1: yeah. Um, One place they tried to emulate Medellin was in Rio de Janeiro, which makes sense. Another hilly city with social disparity and problems like that. But the cable cars, they built them in in Rio, but it didn't didn't work like they worked in Medellin for a couple of reasons. Uh, Medellin, where they built the cable cars, is one slope, and Rio is multiple hills. So for people to access the cable car, it wasn't like they could go to a single stop like you could in Medellin. They would have to take a bus or a car or some other transportation to get there, which meant that residents, even though it was free for them to use, weren't using the cable cars. Um, The cable cars were also built in a way that they often dramatically altered people's neighborhoods in Rio, which was totally different from how they did things in Medellin by asking for the opinions of civilians and locals And kind of building around their lives. In Rio, they kind of just plopped them down, which instead of uh, healing over past divisions, created like new strife between the government and people. So it did not really work in Rio. I think also the cable car might have been sort of a PR thing in Rio, something to do with the World Cup or the Olympics.
0: Yeah, it seemed like they hurried to get it up. They didn't consult local people. And they kind of hurried to get it up for the Olympics because they wanted to look good. And then Following the Olympics, they just lacked the funding to keep it going. So I think it actually shut down right after the Olympics. So it does seem like it was kind of this whole effort to, to create an image mm. when the world was looking. Um, but there have been other countries, too, that have, that have been working on these sorts of things. In Bolivia, they have mm. urban cable system. In Venezuela and i believe peru is considering the idea there are lots of cities in south america that are hilly and that are you know there's it's a very there's lots of areas that are very mountainous where there are lots of cities so it seems like potentially an ideal solution for more than just medellin i think north of mexico city there's also they've built just i think one line in sort of some of the sprawl going to the north of, yeah, of mexico
1: city yeah interesting yeah i mean one thing i noted when researching this episode is we've talked about travel in the past as such an international concept, people going to new places or, or something more along those lines. But you know, something like this, something like Metro Cable makes a difference on a more local scale, which I think is an important part of travel history as well. And obviously changed how Medellin is seen in the world, you know, how people travel there or think about traveling there, as well as for locals traveling from home to the city and to their jobs.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting case of a project that really was designed to just benefit the local people and seem to achieve that goal, but also happened to be such a unique project that it attracted international tourists. So it's sort of serves as an example of an interesting travel phenomenon on both ends, the local, the very hyper-local and the very the international, which is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: I was just thinking too, like, you know, in the United States back when train travel was a thing, Well, I started thinking about this because um, another travel story news, I guess, I didn't mention because I I didn't actually read the article. I saw the headline. There's there's this town in the middle of the country somewhere that used to be a big train hub. And they're hoping that Biden, being a a train guy, you know, Amtrak Joe, is going to bring trains back, which I thought was interesting and kind of speaks to what we talked about today, because a lot of towns and cities in the U.S. used to be stops on a train track. And Mm -hmm. that was... That made them places to go to and, you know, gave them business and like wealth. And then when train travel stopped or the trains moved or there was a freeway moved in, that completely disappeared, which I guess just goes to show how transportation and trends in travel can change a city's fortunes like it did in Medellin.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And even if you look back, you know, to the city becoming more of a cosmopolitan, large, important city in Colombia, it had a lot to do with the fact that they built a railway that went right through the city, which required them to blast through mountains. And then, you know, in the past 50 years, train travel has dropped and the use of of trains as a way to import and export has dropped. And so a lot of the, so the train system is is almost defunct at this point, but they managed to grow enough during that period and build other industries to be able to, obviously, to survive that. It's also a little bit the dual like local transportation solution and tourist attraction is almost like trolley cars in san francisco right. i guess do they even exist? i haven't been to san francisco they, in they, a few years they <laughs> i exist mean they were still. there when
1: i was there the last couple of years ago but they're kind of ago, like a
0: tourist yeah they, yeah
1: that's a really good point i think that's true in a lot of places I, you know in like lisbon portugal they have these yellow Trolley cars or I'm not really sure they're mm-hmm. trolley cars, but it's the same thing locals take them, but they're such a draw for tourists now that annoyingly to the locals people get on them for the experience mm-hmm. not because they need to go somewhere
0: yeah, I wonder the the cable the metro cable seems big enough and vast enough that it's mostly locals that are using it, and the tourists that do show up to to take a ride aren't like overcrowding them, but I wonder if you know if tourism were to really blow up there. If they'd start complaining mm-hmm. about how interesting tourists found their local form of transportation yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean to bring it full circle you know the gondolas in venice i think suffered from that as well yeah yeah i think i don't really know the history of gondolas in venice but i assume at one point they had a more practical purpose and now they're a tourist uh, attraction maybe
0: the urban gondolas of of medellin are the future water gondolas of venice
1: yeah it's possible Totally.
0: Or maybe the water gondolas of Venice are the future urban gondolas of Medellin. Maybe it's it's the other way.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. The ocean might rise and uh, (laughs) Medellin becomes a water city. Venice becomes (laughs) an elevated city and everything changes.
0: Time will tell. Indeed. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. If you are so inclined, please follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at yesterday in trav you can email us also at yesterday at gmail.com and we would love it if you subscribed or gave us a review on apple podcasts it helps people find us it helps boost us in the rankings i mean we're already pretty much number one but you know everything helps so yeah thanks for listening and uh we will be back next week What are we doing next week?
1: Looks like we're doing our New York episode talking about Fidel Castro and uh, coming to Harlem.
0: All right. Stay tuned for that. And uh, we will catch you all next week. Yeah. I'm excited. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.